This morning we're reading from Luke 13, 1 through 5. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all those other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Salem fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. We continue on tough passages of the Bible. So, uh, just a forewarning, I'm not grumpy and I'm not angry. It's just the text and we're talking about the text. I, I want to share something with you guys. You guys probably can't see it from where you are. Um, I went to a, a black barber for the first time in my life because I had a coupon for 350 And so, I went... I, I, can you? They they outlined my head. I don't want to be a part of a lineup. So he's starting. Like, yeah, he's not doing that. He, they did it. Like, look at this. This looks like I. But I feel like I'm part of Oakland now, though. So, but, but we're gonna fix that. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 13, and uh, just covering verses one through five. Uh, let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, uh, we invite you to be in our midst, to be in our heart and our mind, uh, to minister to people exactly where they're at. Uh, I pray, Lord, that um, as we share the scriptures, as we share your word and what Luke recorded for us, that it hits exactly where we need to be ministered to. And even though at first glance we look at these five verses and sometimes we kind of wonder, how is this going to speak to me? But I pray, Lord, that you are able to do that in a supernatural way to minister to people exactly where they're at and that they hear exactly what they need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we concluded the study of chapter 12, Jesus calling out those before him and their hypocrisies. And then they had the discernment to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but they didn't know how to interpret the present time with Jesus, and how can that be? So they were able to think logically and reasonably, as proven by their ability to forecast weather, but they couldn't tell that judgment was coming, even though everyone on earth experiences death. And there are also many other signs that were presented to them, that pointed them to repentance, and there were prophets that came before him, uh, such as John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, who preached repentance, and yet they didn't listen. Jesus warned them to be ready for God. He told them to settle their accounts before going before judgment, and that common sense tells us that we are to settle our lawsuits before we enter the courtroom if we are indeed guilty so that we don't have to have a guilty verdict read to us, that we would settle for a less severe judgment. Then Jesus closed chapter 12, warning us that we need to settle those offenses, right? We need to settle those offenses before we reach the judge, before we physically die. And we meet God face to face, unless our names are Enoch and Elijah, and you don't experience death. But everyone else has experienced death, and everything about you is going to be revealed. To God, Everything is going to be filleted open and your 
accountable to answer to every charge that is before you. So it's wise to settle our accounts before Jesus, for Him to be our Savior and for us to move into now chapter 13. Verse 1, chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told Him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now you notice that phrase, at that very time. It's a very telling phrase because it refers back to chapter 12's warnings and rebukes. And at that very time, some of the people with Jesus told him about some Galileans who died at the hands of Pilate. Now, who was Pilate? We're going to take a look at him in further detail in the future. But let me just start by sharing that he was a really brutal, really treacherous human being, as evidenced by verse 1. Right? You, you, You'd have to be pretty ruthless to kill other people while they're offering sacrifices, while they're worshiping. Now, the Bible doesn't explain to us why these people uh, brought this up with Jesus. But maybe they were agreeing with Jesus that they needed to settle things before they reached the judgment of God. Because who knows when they were going to die. Or maybe it was because Jesus taught about what was to come. And perhaps those people were thinking that this was perhaps a sign of things to come. We don't know the exact reason, but something triggered them to bring this up with Jesus. Now, if you look at the other Gospels, you're not going to find this account, this story in the other Gospels. And you also won't find this story in any historical book, any historical books to prove that this actually happened. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if archaeologists did dig something up to prove that this happened in the Bible as so many other proofs and stories have been tr- proven by archaeological digs and discovered, and, and the Bible is actually a very good uh, map for archaeologists to follow. They, when they follow the Bible, they actually find these places that the Bible is talking about. But as of now, there isn't a, 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 a record. There isn't a record of the Tower of Siloam falling and killing Galileans. It's only in the Gospel of Luke. Now that being said, being in the Gospel of Luke is good enough for me because the other records within the Gospel of Luke have proven true. So I do believe that this actually happened even though there are no other accounts of it. Just because this story isn't found elsewhere doesn't mean that it didn't happen. And I'm sure that there are a lot of crimes committed by Gaddafi that weren't recorded, but that they actually happened, that they really happened. And so there were so many atrocious things that Gaddafi did that it was just kind of a regular occurrence. You don't record every single thing. It's a normal thing. And so just like Pilate, this is a normal thing. Bad things that Pilate did to people is a normal thing. They probably didn't record every single thing. This is an extremely dark individual who committed many cruel acts and not all of them are recorded. So it wasn't a big deal to them to record that 18 people died at the hands of Pilate because he did that all the time. Pilate killed people all the time. But Luke does record this occurrence for us, though, and let's read on verses 2 through 5. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I read the whole section 
um, 2 through 5 instead of breaking it down verse by verse here because I wanted to point out what Jesus was asking and how he answered. Now, did you notice that he essentially asked the same question twice in verses 2 and 4 and he gave the exact answer twice in verses 3 and 5? Now let's first take a look at Jesus' questions in verses 2 and 4. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Verse 4 is basically the same question with more detail as verse 2. In in verse 4's question, Jesus brought up the tower of Siloam that fell, killed 18 people, which is near the fountain of Siloam, and it ran into the pool of Siloam. Now, why did Jesus ask this question? Well, there were very superstitious people at this time, and they believed that when people were, were struck with tragedy, God was punishing them for something bad that they did. There was also this belief of proprietary faith, that they, they believed that they had a say in what was happening, and they could kind of control God and make God like them more or dislike them more, and that they can act on certain things. And so they had this kind of proprietary faith that had them believing. So they had this superstitious faith, and they had this proprietary faith. So there were folks at the time who interpreted this as God chastising those 18 people who died at Siloam for doing something wrong, for doing something bad. And and they wondered, I wonder what those people did. What did those people do to have that tower fall on them? I mean, they must have done something really horrible for God to kill them. And so they didn't think that it was Pilate just being a bad guy. They thought, hey, maybe God did this. Maybe this is the hand of God. That superstitious thought was really common in that day. And I think there are a fair amount of people who have superstitious kind of proprietary faith kind of thoughts about God today. And you hear it when various natural disasters happen around the world. Right? The earthquake and tsunami that struck Japan nine months ago, taking over 15,000 lives. People asking if it was because the Japanese people did something wrong. And during that time, I heard things like, I wonder if it's because it's so secular there that it's less than 1% Christian. The earthquake that struck Haiti took over 46,000 lives. Did the Haitian people do something wrong? And I heard things like that, and I heard things like, maybe because voodoo is so prominent there that, that you know, over 40% of the people practice it there, and God was judging it or something. Are the Japanese people or the Haitian people any worse sinners than we are as U.S. Americans? I think Jesus would emphatically say no. Biblically, we do see judgment on those who are disobedient to God. We do see that. There are occurrences of disobedient people being judged by God, even by death. And you take a look at Lot's wife. Genesis chapter 19, verse 26. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. You look at Ur in Genesis chapter 38, verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. You look at Onan in Genesis chapter 38, verse 10. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Nadab and Abihu, Numbers chapter 3, and verse 4. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. Dathan and Abiram. 
Psalms chapter 106, verses 16 and 17. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. There are many more. I'm not going to go through an exhaustive list. I'm just kind of showing you that it's there. It's also in the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back from himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back from yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Paul did write to us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. And each one of us has a judgment of death, because we're clearly in sin. But this is not to say that death only comes to those who are in sin or disobedient. Right? Yes, there's an obvious link between judgment and sin. But if we look at the Bible in its entirety, if we look at history in entirety, God seldom judges right on the spot. Right? He seldom judges right on the spot. Given the number of people to ever exist in the history of the world, in comparison to God judging people on the spot, God is exponentially more merciful and kind than He is just. I wouldn't call it cruelty. I would call God just. The wages of sin is death. So if you were to sin and He kills you, that's not cruel. That's justice. Now how many of you have been struck dead for your sin? Come on, I know you zombies are out there. Come on. The opportunities God has given us to recognize His mercy and His kindness, His grace, and He gives those same opportunities to all, right? The righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 reads this. But all this I laid to heart, examining it, it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is, as he who shuns an oath. What's going on with Ecclesiastes there? Well, let's say you're coming out of church as a worshiper, and you walk across the street to the parking lot without looking for cars. You might get hit by a car very likely here and the same goes for those who are coming out of a bar drunk as a skunk and if you cross the street without looking at out for cars you might get hit by a car 
God doesn't press pause for the worshiper coming out of church and let life continue to play for the drunkard. If you don't look for cars, you might get hit by one. Maybe sometimes He preserves your life. I've, I've sure felt it, that He's preserved my life. Maybe He does that. Because I've literally felt Him press pause on my life kind of moving forward like several times. But more often than not, I think life just happens. Life goes on. And the sun rises and the sun falls on the believer just as the unbeliever. And the rain does the same thing. It's not like only only the believers get the rain and the non-believers get this dry cloud that just follows them and there's no rain for them. We all experience the same thing. You go on to read in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish they are taken in an evil net, and like birds they are caught in a snare. So the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Yes, God is sovereign. I don't think everything is chance. I don't think Ecclesiastes is contradicting that. What Ecclesiastes points out is the fact that the fastest person doesn't always win the race. Did you guys know who the fastest man alive is? Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt, the fastest human alive. But he lost a race last year to Tyson Gay. But he is consistently the fastest man on earth. See, the strong don't always come out on top either. Nazi Germany. Supposedly the strongest military at the time, but they lost the world war. And there are some hungry wise people and there are some dumb rich people. I've met them, right? And there are people with no knowledge who get all the favor in the world. So these are just kind of facts. These are observational facts. And the disciples were guilty of this kind of superstitious, this proprietary thinking too. You look at John chapter 9 verses 1 through 3. As he passed, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. See, that's how people saw God. They kind of saw him in this kind of superstitious way, that there are people today that kind of see God this way too. Most of the time, they're religious folks. And they look at people in a way that people of the island of Malta saw God. Remember in Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. Let me just read this to you. This is uh, Paul. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us an unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he was escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. See this kind of superstitious thought that's just kind of running rampant on things? And it's not a new thing to look at God in this kind of a way. 
Right? You look at the book of Job. Right? Job's friends telling him, Job, you know you're suffering all this stuff, all this calamity is happening in your life, and you're suffering physically, and your kids are dying, and all this kind of stuff. Your wealth is taken away because you did something against God. You know, repent. Confess what you did and just change your ways, and you know, everything will be given back to you. That's not why Job went through that stuff. So Jesus asked these questions in verses 2 and 4. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And Jesus answers them really, really clearly, right? He gave them the same answer twice, exact same words, verses 3 and 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus wasn't saying that sin has no cost. He's not saying that. There is indeed a judgment. There is indeed a consequence for sin. But not every unfortunate event in life is a sign of judgment. There are things that simply happen that happen. Not as a result of sin. They just happen. Things happen. And not all unfortunate happenings are traced back to bad people. See, those Galileans weren't worse sinners. They were sinners, like you and me. Now, how does this apply to us as followers of Jesus? Well, we, we're not to judge people regardless of unfortunate events that happen to them. Or look at their state of life and judge them for it, that, that God is judging them and they're living in that way because, you know, they did something wrong or their parents did something wrong or whatever. It's not always the case. Sometimes, yes. But the reason why we don't judge is because they are no worse an offender than you and I are. We're all equal offenders of God. And you notice that the word all appears in each of verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. All. It is implied that all are sinners. That all will perish unless we repent. And so those Galileans who died from the fall of the Tower of Siloam, they weren't worse sinners. Those people experiencing different things in their life, they aren't worse sinners. Those people who died in Japan, who died in Haiti, who are homeless, who are bankrupt, who lived with some set of bad circumstances or conditions, are no worse an offender to God than you and me. What you do or don't do does not dictate the amount of love God has for you. That's that faith of propriety, right? That you dictate how much God can love you. God cannot love you any less or any more than He already does. He loves you unconditionally. No matter what you do. He can't love you any more or any less, right? Because you are blessed... You're blessed with things. You're blessed with material things, with external things, your set of circumstances, your conditions. Does not mean that you are less of a sinner. You are a sinner just the same. And without repentance, you perish also. So just because you have a lot of good stuff happening in your life doesn't mean that, oh, I I guess I sin less than that guy. That's not the case. We are all sinners and we are all perishing unless we repent. So let's not judge what God is doing in other people's lives based on the things that they have or do not have. Let's recognize that we're all sinners here. Now it isn't our place to judge other people to say that, oh, you must, something must be wrong in your life because you know, things aren't matching up. 
What you do or don't do does not dictate the amount of love God has for you. And as we remove judging others based on what is happening to them, let's also remove judging ourselves and what is happening to us. How many of us are guilty of that? Man, I must have done something wrong. I need to figure out like maybe something in my heart I need to repent of and you know, I need to get that out of my life. If you are going through a difficult time right now, it's not likely that God is sentencing you to hardship. You need to figure out how to get rid of that thing in your life. Much of what we experience, we brought on ourselves. We're pretty good at that. right? It's not like God has to do it. You and your own sin nature and the worldliness that is around us, we do a pretty good job of just kind of creating our own hardships. right? Making decisions that we make and just being our sinful selves. It's not like God has to motivate us to sin or something or like create hardships for us we do a really good job creating a mess really good so much of what we experience you know we we kind of did that ourselves or or maybe you're going through a challenging time was because someone else brought that on to you but it wasn't necessarily god it's just that other person's a sinner because you're going through a challenging time does not mean you are worse than others You're no worse. All are perishing without repentance. So don't judge yourselves to be worse than others and that God is punishing you. I don't think that's how God works. God loves you unconditionally. He's not judging you. He's there graciously, mercifully, with open arms. His his kindness leads you to repentance. So through our difficulties and our hardships... It's time to ask God to reveal Himself to us in those moments. I don't think He's judging you. But let's ask God to reveal Himself. John wrote in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Ask God whether what you are going through is indeed a time of reproof and discipline. Ask, pray. If it is, be zealous and repent. If it's not reproof and it's not discipline, that's life. That's life. And you got to just ask for His presence to live through that with Him. And don't believe that every single thing that is bad that happens to you is punishment from God. He's not like that. He's not looking to like pick every moment in life. Oh, you lied. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you're stealing. Mm. Like he's not, he's not there like just picking on you like that. Most of the time, it's life. You lied, there is a consequence to it. It's not necessarily God is saying, oh, you lied. You're going to pay some consequence. While some people believe the bad things happening to them are judgment, there is also belief that good things happening to them are blessings. Maybe. Maybe. I don't have any doubt that God blesses just as He judges. We know that He judges. I know that He blesses. And I can't imagine a world where God didn't intercede in my life and protect and to bless. See, I've been driving for over 20 years, legally. Hundreds of thousands of miles all over the world. I don't know if I've hit the million mark yet. I've driven a lot but at least hundreds of thousands of miles um, all over the world. Mostly in the United States, 
But driving in the United States is so easy compared to driving in Mexico, Ecuador, Italy. Whoa, those guys are crazy. This one's crazy. On the right side in Hong Kong, I almost died so many times. I didn't know left from right. I was like, Whoa. So times when a serious traffic accident happened right before me, I'd be right in it if I was getting on the freeway seconds earlier. Or when there was a serious traffic accident right in my rear view mirror as I'm driving, you know, I hear these things and I'd be in the accident if I was a few seconds later. I, I do really believe that God was protecting me. The craziest place of all the drive is L.A., I remember driving in L.A. I lived there most of my life, over 20-some-odd years. I remember in L.A. when I was getting onto the freeway. I was merging onto the freeway after I was visiting my sister in the hospital. She just had my niece. And so two cars in front of me, it's, it's, uh, it's starting the meter, right? So red light, green light, red light. And then cars are going. So two cars in front of me is this yellow Nissan Xterra. And it's getting on the freeway, and from the far left lane, I see this car just kind of cut across all four lanes and T-bones this Xterra, and the Xterra rolls down the embankment until it hits the wall. If I got on the freeway two cars earlier, what is that, a few seconds? That's my car, and my wife, and my two kids. Because this car just kind of came. It wasn't like it was aiming for that car. Maybe it was yellow. I don't know. And I remember also driving in L.A. You know, I'm, I, I hear these crashes and these brakes, you know, screeching brakes. And I, I look back in the rearview mirror. And I look back in the rearview mirror and there's just this cloud of black smoke. And I see flames. And after I get to work, I hear that there were deaths at that accident. That there was this pileup. And so a SIG alert was issued. Do you guys know what a SIG alert is? A SIG alert is when they stop. All you people from Southern California are smiling at me. You know exactly what a SIG alert is. It means they close off all traffic. You cannot move. You're, you're there. So you're, you're there until they're done investigating the death. So you're just stuck there. And so a SIG alert was issued. Traffic is stopped. And I just barely missed it. If I was a few seconds later, I, I would probably be in that pileup. So I'm not saying that God doesn't preserve our lives. I believe He does. I believe the Scriptures support that also. I also believe the Scriptures support that God does judge in these dynamic, real-time ways. Just like He did in, in the Scriptures that I shared. He, he judges those people right there on the spot. I don't think it's often. You look at the span of human history, right? It's, it's recorded for those times. Because I do think that God is by far merciful and kind than He is just. He is a just God. But how much more He is gracious, how much more He is merciful, how much more He is kind and protecting us, there is biblical evidence for that. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Those who are judged by God in real time are no worse sinners than we are. 
those who are blessed by God in real time are no better saints than we are. Now how God makes those judgments, it's a mystery to me. I don't have an answer for that. Sometimes it's just life and sometimes it's the hand of God. But that's not to say that anyone is better or worse as a person. So if people aren't worse sinners or better saints, what are we to do with that? We live. We live and we do verses 3 and 5. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We repent. The question is not about who's worse and who's better, but the answer is for all to repent because all are guilty of sin. People have a lot of questions about evil in the world, don't they? You read uh, that biography um, of Steve Jobs. And towards the beginning of that biography, he was attending a Lutheran church because his parents wanted him to kind of get kind of like this religious backing. He sees this article in Life magazine about suffering, starving children. So he brings it to Sunday school and he talks to his Sunday school teacher and he says, does God know that I'm going to put up this finger? And the Sunday school teacher says, yeah, he knows. He knows that. Does God know that these children are suffering and they're dying? And the Sunday school teacher tries to reason with him as to what that is and that he doesn't understand all these types of things. And so then from that point on, he decides never to go back to church again. So people have all these questions about evil in the world. Very important questions for us to tackle. But before we tackle the evil in the world, let's bring it closer to home. Before we get all metaphysical and philosophical about the questions surrounding evil and evil in community, evil in the world, evil all over the place, how about personally dealing with evil in you that exists in your life? That's what Jesus was doing here. There are people who were concerned with evil and sin of the Galileans, of people out there. You know, they died at the Tower of Siloam are they worse sinners? Like, what's going on there? There's this evil that's happening there and the pilot and all this stuff. And Jesus, he brings it close to home and he said to all who were there and on a really personal level, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he makes it really personal. There is plenty of junk within ourselves before we even have to worry about all this other stuff. If the evil is in with each person, if it's personal and it's within each person, is it a surprise that there's evil out there? If it's in each one of you, and we multiply that by worldly measures, is it really that big of a surprise that there's evil out there? So you look at yourself. Because there's plenty of evil and sin within us. So let's not get so preoccupied with things that are happening in the world that we ignore what is happening within our own hearts. You have plenty of evil stored within yourself. So sometimes people get so caught up with the evil in the world that when, when they look at that stuff and they, and they don't look at themselves, then they throw God out. When it's, Doesn't it make total logical sense and common sense that if there's evil within you and there's evil within the billions on the earth, and therefore there is evil in the world. If each one of us repents, and the billions of us repents in the name of Jesus, do you think that will change something?
thank God he's merciful. Thank God that he doesn't serve justice real time. Liar, dead. I mean, that would stink. I mean, if that happened to you, you wouldn't be listening to this. Maybe some of you are hoping for that. The psalmist wrote in Psalms chapter 130, verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you should make a record of wrongs, if you, if you checked off every time someone did something wrong, O Lord, who could stand? No one. If God kept a record of wrongs and served justice when, when a wrong was committed on the spot, we'd all be dead. We wouldn't make our first birthdays. Right? God is merciful and His kindness leads us to repentance. But Jesus is warning us that, you know what? Judgment is still coming. You guys are still all sinners. So you're all in need of repentance. You're all in need of justice. Or not in need of it. You are all deserving of justice. And all offered Jesus. You're all offered Jesus through repentance. So if we don't receive Jesus, you receive that justice. But in receiving Jesus, you receive that mercy. You receive that grace. Now, when is the last time you repented? If you are a follower of Jesus, you repented at some point to first receive Jesus into your life, by faith into your life, and you were saved from the wrath of sin. But when is the last time you repented? Not from that first conversion moment, but just kind of everyday life. Because if you haven't repented recently, have you not sinned? If you haven't, please talk to me. I need to overcome this. Because if you have sinned, sin has power over you. What repentance does is it breaks that power of sin in your life. And it's something that needs to be continually practiced. right? The sanctification of ourselves. Repentance is this... Intimate, personal, profound transformation within your heart, your mind, and your spirit. Right? It's this change that's so revolutionary within yourself that you actually desire to live for God. I'm not talking about religion or attempts to be a good person. Because you don't need to submit yourself to God or to Jesus to do those things. There are plenty of other religions out there that can help you be religious and plenty of other religions out there that can help you be a good person. But that's not repentance. Being more religious and being more good is not the definition of being a disciple of Jesus or repenting. A lot of religions can help you do those things. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ who gives you His grace gives you God's grace because only His death on the cross is what saves us. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, verses 22-25, through He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you know Jesus? Do you accept Him in faith for what He did for you on the cross? Have you been regenerated? Have you been born again? 
Repentance, repentance is more than making things right. But that's restitution. Repentance is more than that. So if you're thinking, you know, I've messed up on my marriage, I, I need to seek counseling. I've messed up on my family, I, I need to spend more time with them. Uh, I've messed up my health, I need to eat better and, and start exercising. See, there are a lot of things that people want to make right, but that's not repentance. True repentance is a God thing. It's not a proprietary faith thing where you kind of just kind of do your own thing. God's involved here. It's a spiritual thing where He regenerates us. He gifts us with that repentance. He gives that to us. It's a gift. And sure, we play a part in it. We need to accept it. We need to exercise repentance and confess with our mouths and, and also with our actions to some extent. But that doesn't prove that you have a repentant heart just because you do something right now. I'm seeking counseling, but inside your heart you still hate your spouse. That's not repentance. I'm spending more time with my kids, but I'm all on my phone most of the time checking you know, my internet and my sports scores and texting and stuff. And that's not repentance. Your heart's still kind of rotten there. So God has to get in there and He has to work in those things and He has to gift us with those things to transform our heart and regenerate us. What the law of God does is it shows us reality. It shows us that we are indeed guilty. So when we read the law of the Bible, when you look at the Torah and you read that, the reality of that is it's showing us that we need a Savior. So regardless if you've been baptized or you attend church often or, or you read your Bible often or you give tithes and offerings, those things don't save you. Jesus saves you. The law brings attention to how we're lawbreakers. We broke the law. But the law itself doesn't appease our guilt, nor does it cleanse us of our guilt. It just shows us that we are indeed guilty. It also doesn't change our heart. It just basically shows you you're guilty. Right? Don't park in the red zone is a law. Does that change your heart at all? It doesn't change your heart. The law doesn't change your heart. It merely tells you that you're guilty. It's God who changes us when we acknowledge that the law is there and we acknowledge that we've broken that law and justice is indeed to be served. It's going to be served because God is a God of justice. We're guilty of that law. The wages of sin is death. Now if we want mercy instead of justice, we acknowledge we need Jesus. See, sin has serious consequences. We know through Romans that the consequences of sin is death. And God being a God of justice, God is a God of justice, He cannot let the sinner off without that consequence, without that penalty. He is a God of justice. So sin has to be punished. There's no choice in that. God is a God of justice. He's also a God of mercy. And He provides His plan for Jesus to take our place. That is His merciful plan. Jesus took my penalty. He took my punishment. He took my sin. It's the only plan that works because He's the only one who could take it and live through it. He's the only one that could resurrect from it and bring life from it. So when people say, like, how come God can't be merciful in all circumstances and just say He's a merciful God? 
because then he's not a God of justice. But if he provides an avenue through Jesus Christ, he is also merciful, yet he is also just at the same time. We all want justice, don't we? I mean, there's this whole social justice movement. We want people to pay the penalty for the wrongs that they indeed did. They did those things. We want them to suffer those consequences. Mistreating people. Human trafficking. Molesting children. Raping people. We want them to face those consequences. God is also merciful. That even if those people repented, He would forgive them. That might rub some of us the wrong way too. That he's a God of justice, but he's also that merciful. He took my sin so that I may live. When is the last time you repented? I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Let's pray. God, what a beautiful design you had in being a just God, a merciful God, and a gracious God. Sometimes we want one extreme and we don't want the other. Lord, I pray that you would show us our own hypocrisies, just as all of chapter 12 spoke about. That you would reveal to us the things that we are to repent of. God, I pray for anyone here who does not know you as their Lord and Savior that their heart be softened and their mind softened to understanding who you are. The amount of love that you have for them. God, please touch their life. In Jesus' name, amen.